It is indeed a very pleasurable thing to be here with you today. It uh, almost seems to me like with the thunder out there, we should sing a mighty fortress. I mean, uh, how great thou art with the rolling thunder out there today. I uh, began working in Uganda 30 years ago uh, this past June, and I've been over there like 56 different times. It just got back a few weeks ago, and I'm grateful to this church and for the support you give to help make this possible. I, uh, if, if you're interested in going to Uganda, I don't care what you can do, I can find some way for you to put that skill uh, to work uh, in Uganda. Uh, our organization has probably seen 1,500 people in the last 40 years uh, ministering uh, in Uganda, and it's been a great... People say, well, isn't it dangerous over there? And I say, I've never put my head on my pillow in Uganda uh, a single night and been fearful. But many years ago, one of the members of my congregation was having surgery at Oshner's Clinic in New Orleans, and I spent the night in a hotel room by myself and was scared to death. <laughs> uh, we do everything. Well, I've taken doctors, nurses. Uh, we've had lawyers go. We've had anybody that could preach or teach or have a building skill. Back in 2005, I took uh, seven men. And I think maybe all of them are even in here right now. And we went over to work on a guest house. And you know, if you know a man that, that does anything, every single man there is has his own special way of even driving a nail. And so I figured, you know, I get seven people over here. Uh, I wonder what we're going to end up with. But to God's great praise and glory, we did not have one crossword for the whole three weeks we were there building. And I still get the benefit from going to that guest house. Uh, I was there a few weeks ago. We held a conference uh, for youth, and in Uganda, youth goes all the way up to around age 28, and we had uh, 600 of those people there in a preaching and teaching session, and uh, at the end, I made a recording on my phone, and it wasn't very good, but of all 600 of them singing, Oh, the Blood of Jesus in English, and then singing it again uh, in their native tongue. Uh, and it's just inspiring to me uh, to listen to that. Uh, we, uh, I've been working mostly in rural villages. I'm not asking for a merit badge for doing that. That's just where my heart is. The USAID officer at the American Embassy in Kampala uh, told me once that uh, Uganda has more English-speaking missionaries than any other country that he knows of. But he said 95% of them never leave the Kampala area. Now, there are 3 million people there, so it's not like there's no ministry there. But God has always put it in my heart to go out into the rural areas. And I have uh, parents quite often tell me that I'm the first white person their children has ever seen because uh, it, we're so far uh, from the big city. And we go there and we, we plant church. We do that by organizing an open air campaign. And the Ugandans, one of the blessings or curses of the American church going to Uganda, every, uh, you can have a Uganda church one fourth the size of this room and they will have an amplifier that you can hear all the way in Lynn Haven. Uh, and it's, but anyway, they get that going in the open air, singing and talking. 
And pretty soon, three, four, five hundred people will come out of the woodwork. And then we preach and teach and uh, share the gospel and gather a handful of people out of that group who want to uh, start a church. And then we start a church uh, with some Bible studies and then an actual church. And then we try to build a school because in these rural areas, many places don't have schools or if they do, they're not of a very good quality. And we have found that uh, after we've operated a school for a couple of years, that our students, they have to all have to take uh, national exams and the kids in the schools we've built are always are the highest in that, that district. And so even parents uh, who are not involved in the church come and ask if they can send their children to our schools and we're grateful for that. Uh, we try to do it so that the Ugandans themselves organize and run the schools. All we help do is build buildings because uh, with the uh, average income being about $20 a month uh, for a Ugandan family, it would take them forever to build a school building. So we do that. We've also built a couple of medical clinics and uh, we do all that we can to help improve the lives of the people. If you are even remotely familiar with the ministry of Christ Jesus and the apostles, everywhere they went preaching and teaching, the ministry of mercy always followed them uh, as well uh, and helping the people. And so we, we are, are grateful uh, to do that. COVID has become a big problem. There is a big Pentecostal church in Kampala. It's a good church. It's not a health and wealth church. It's an honest gospel preaching church. And Dr. Kropendam, uh, who I go to Uganda with, uh, has preached there numerous times. And I got word last night that their pastor died of COVID yesterday. So it's a very, very difficult time. And I would urge you and encourage you to pray uh, for Uganda. Uh, and if you would like to be on my email list, I'm not one of these people that emails every time the sun comes up. But if I have something to say, I do email then, and I'd be happy to add you to it. I was going to bring some brochures today and forgot that, but I have a website. If you want to find out, somebody here can help you get to that. I want to go ahead and uh, begin uh, to share the word with you this morning. And this is a message that I have adapted uh, from uh, a message I gave about six times uh, when I was uh, in Uganda last month. And the shortest was an hour, so, uh, but I have adapted it down here. Uh, I'm going to first begin by reading from Acts chapter 2, and I'll begin with verse 42 and read through verse 47. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. Shall we give our attention to the reading and hearing of this, the Word of God? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had one thing in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad 
and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Shall we pray? Loving Father in heaven, now in the name of the Lord Jesus, we want to come before you and open your word. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word and teach us from it what we are to believe concerning you and what duty you require of us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the setting of the text that I just read, the Lord Jesus had been together with his disciples. The resurrected Lord Jesus had been together with his disciples in Jerusalem. And he told them that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would have power. They would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the rubric in there is Jerusalem where they was where they were. Uh, Judea was the larger territory. And the Samaritans were the people that they didn't like and they didn't like them back. And Jesus said, yeah, you got to go to them and bring them the gospel as well. And then to the ends of the earth. And then he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the promise that the Father had given to them of the coming of the Holy Spirit and uh, wait there. And, and as later in that chapter, Jesus uh, ascends up into heaven and they remain in Jerusalem as they were told. Uh, John, uh, Jesus said that John baptizes you with uh, water, but, uh, or John himself said uh, in, the, in Matthew that he baptized with water, but there was one coming whose sandals he was unworthy to even carry, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And uh, first of all, this was not Christian baptism that John was doing because Christian baptism was not instituted till the end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. Uh, it was a baptism for repentance, and since Jesus had no sin, he had no reason to repent. So uh, when we find our friends who tell us that we need to follow the Lord Jesus in baptism, they're misunderstanding the baptism of Jesus that took place uh, with John the Baptist uh, in the wilderness. And then uh, uh, Jesus... Uh, uh, told them, uh, told the, his disciples to wait, and that would be what would happen when the Spirit would come. Suffice it to say, uh, what John the Baptist said was, what I'm doing with water, he will do with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, Back to Acts chapter 2 and up at the first of it. I didn't read it all because it would take too long. But uh, the Holy Spirit came as was promised on the day of Pentecost. And the, there were devout Jews from many places. And uh, they, as the Holy Spirit fell on these apostles, they began to speak in other tongues. And the people were perplexed because they were hearing the good news of the gospel of Christ in their own native tongue. And there were people there, uh, the Parthians and the Medes, the Iliamites, and people from Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, from Cyrene, and from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. 
And they were all hearing the gospel in their native tongue. Now, I would wish for this experience today in Uganda. Thankfully, the official language of Uganda is English, even though it's everybody's second language. They learn some village language, and it's interesting, there are 61 different tribal dialects in Uganda. So when all the Presbyterians in Uganda come together for their general assembly, it has to be conducted in English because it's the only language they all know. Uh, they, they, they don't know, for example, if I were to greet you in uh, Fort Portal in the morning, I would say Musayo. But in Kampala, I would say Oliotia. And that's not the difference between you and y'all. That's two totally separate words altogether. And so, uh, uh, but I've never had trouble communicating. And even preaching with uh, an interpreter, that's also even good because sometimes I'll say something and the interpreter will interpret it. And then somebody or two or three people say, I say no, 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 that's not what he said. And so they straighten that out and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But anyway, we, we understand that they were speaking in language so the people were able to understand. And other people asked, what does this mean? What's this going on? And they uh, began to mock saying that these people were drunk and, and just babbling on. Uh, and, the, and Peter responds uh, in uh, verse 14, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed them and said, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the four, third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through Joel the prophet. Now, if you know Joel the prophet, what did he say? He said uh, in chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, in the last day. And so for all of you who are on pins and needles of, is all that's going on in the world now mean we're in the last day? Well, we've been in the last day ever since the day of Pentecost. And if you take the reasoning of the scriptures and places that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, Jesus has only been gone a little over two days. So, but my really, my real position, and I try to encourage, is to be pro-millennium. In other words, we'll let God do it any way he wants to, and it'll be perfectly fine with me. And I hope you adopt a single thing. But this prophecy of Joel uh, was what uh, Peter, in other words, Peter is giving the infallible interpretation of Joel's prophecy is what he's doing and saying this is what is going on. And I'll just point out in passing, what did I say earlier? John said, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And for all you good Presbyterians here, what does Joel say? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And I think that's uh, another and significant thing that we grasp from this. Peter told the story of, then told the story of the ministry and the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And, and that's vitally important. The story of Christ must always include his resurrection or you've left out the most important part. And the scriptures recorded, and we're not reading them either here in Acts chapter 2, but it says the people's hearts were cut to the quick. Uh, 
And if you've ever been around my friend Henry Krabendam, you've heard him say a dozen times, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Not the mind, but the heart. The, the breaking of the human heart over sin and the calling out to the Lord Jesus uh, for forgiveness. Now, I skipped over a point I meant to make. At the end of Joel uh, chapter 28, uh, the, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's another key important part of the gospel that we must challenge people to call on the name of the Lord in that way. The people were cut to the heart and they asked what we must do. And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Christ. And now remember the first baptism we talked about was in the beginning of Matthew with John the Baptist. Now we're at the end of the gospel of Matthew chapter 28 where the Lord Jesus has instituted Christian baptism. And Peter is emphasizing that. And he says, Then you will receive the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off. And then it says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. What would happen here if 3,000 people were added in a single day? Well, you say, Bob, there's not 3,000 people here. Assuming everyone here was not a Christian, and we added everybody here, we wouldn't. But I'll talk about that again in just a moment. And then we come to the heart of the matter today. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These four things are sometimes referred to as the ordinary means of grace. And the faithful use of them becomes an avenue through which God's grace flows to the believer. Now, some have interpreted the purpose of the grace of God is to make us healthier and wealthier and happier. But the reality is the grace of God flowing into our lives makes us more holy and more useful servants of the Lord. And holiness is the goal. The scriptures say that God is holy, and if we're going to be with Him, we too must be holy. So when the grace of God flows to us, and, 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 and it, like a, the, these means of grace are like a conduit or, like, or, or water pipe through which grace flows to us that we might grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along rather than being grounded in the holiness of the Lord. First, they devoted themselves. And perhaps I should spend some time talking about being, de being devoted, but time will not allow. They devoted themselves firstly to the apostles' Teaching. Of course, that's the Bible because the apostles were giving them the scriptures. We have the benefit of having all 66 books of the Old and New Testament already in our possession. They were just getting it as the apostles were preaching and teaching, but they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to what they were learning. They had a very 
high view of the scripture and that was their focus. Quite honestly and quite frankly, I believe the reason we are seeing the moral decay and moral collapse of the United States of America today is because our nation has lost a very high view of the Word of God. Dr. Krabendam has a little, he got a lot of papers, but he got a little short one with eight reasons why Christian colleges and seminaries eventually abandoned their founding faith and embrace modernism and neo-orthodoxy and liberalism. You may know or you may be shocked to know that the charter of Harvard University includes the word to train men for the gospel ministry. But would you want a pastor here today that went to Harvard Divinity School? I hope not. Because they would be steeped in liberalism and neo-orthodoxy. Well, the re one of the reasons that Dr. Kroppendam, one of his eight reasons, is the reason institutions that were founded by conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing people, whether it be a seminary or a college or an orphanage or whatever you want to name, they eventually drift away because human reason begins to take precedent over thus saith the Lord. What is important is not what I think, what I can understand, what I can figure out, what I can read, but what does the Word say? It is interesting that in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan was tempting the Lord Jesus Christ, you would think, hey, look, man, I'm God, leave me alone. And that would have been sufficient. But what did he do? He said four times, it is written. A high view of the Scriptures. In fact, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord will endure forever. I like the idea someone taught me in seminary that uh, said, Bob, God did not promise that He would bless your ministry. But He said He will bless His Word. And to the degree that you saturate your ministry with His Word, therein you will find blessing. And I've never forgotten that. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed uh, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I was driving down Beach Drive headed towards St. Andrews, and the traffic was backing up. So I got to Buena Vista Avenue and I said, I'm just going to hang a right and go up to 11th Street. And uh, it was a hot day and I had my air conditioning on and the radio playing. But just a few yards after I had turned, I heard a siren and I looked up in my rearview mirror and a fire truck was coming up right behind me. And then I looked a little further and I saw a house on fire. And that truck whipped around me and pulled up. And it occurred to me that fire truck is thoroughly equipped for the task that is hand. They've got ladders, they've got water, they've got hoses, they've got protective suits, they've got oxygen, they've got generators, they've got exhaust fans, they've got axe. They, they have what they have learned is needed to fight a fire. They are thoroughly equipped. And God tells us that His Word will do that same equipping in us. We will be thoroughly equipped, and now we're beginning to see 
One of the reasons I'm talking about 3,000 people added to the church daily, it's because the believers took the Word of God out that back door with them and took it into their homes and their neighborhoods and the marketplace, and they were about the work of the Gospel of Christ all day long, every day. And that's what we've got to get the church to do again. Uh, in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I already mentioned Jesus and it was it is written uh, that it and is written uh, not always in all those words together but it occurs 326 times in the scriptures shows you the power and authority that we find uh, in the Bible so the so with Christ as the cornerstone the first building block of the church is the scriptures and our saturating ourselves with that word so that we are in it every day throughout my ministry i've tried to challenge people to read the bible every day i I believe that we talk to god in prayer and he talks to us through the holy spirit speaking in the scriptures and i've had people say well god's never talked to me and that's what i'll tell you what the problem is it's because you don't read the word Because I promise you, if you start reading the Word faithfully and daily, you'll be shocked that all of a sudden, something you read this morning will hit you upside the head like a ton of bricks this afternoon. And you say, wow, that's just what I needed. But if you don't read, nothing's not going to happen to you. You're going to miss in that regard. Secondly, the second common meaning of grace, common, is fellowship. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Uh, Now some interpret that to mean that we can't have any friends anywhere unless they are believers. If, If that were true, then we could never do evangelism, because we need to know unbelieving people in order to evangelize them. But if you've ever been around my speaking at baccalaureate, I have a sermon I kind of wrote on the cuff one time because our speaker was not able to come and somebody had to fill in. And I wrote a little sermon, six things to remember. And I've been asked to do it five or six more times since then by classes. And one of those is never make an intimate friend out of someone who is not a friend of Christ. I didn't say never make a friend of anybody who's not a friend of Christ. I said, don't make them your intimate friend because your intimate friends are going to be the ones who influence you in your life. And if you're fellowshipping with people who have no moral anchor whatsoever, then you're opening yourself up to drift along with them. And so we need to fellowship, hard Christian fellowship, with other believers. Uh, John says if we walk in the light, then we should stay in the light. The early Christians uh, uh, dealt together, dwelt together. Uh, in Proverbs 27, 17, we all know it, even if we don't know the references. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's Christian fellowship. Making time to be with other Christians. Uh, 
And there are all kinds of ways we can do that and need to do that. And I encourage you to do that. John, 1 John 1, 3, uh, that which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, the Spirit indwells you. Then find other Christians to encourage you and for you to encourage. Gather Christians together. Invite people over to your home for meals. Do a Bible study. Be involved where other Christians are there. And the purpose is encouragement. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, encourage one another. And then thirdly, the breaking of bread, which is communion. And we're here today. We're told in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 and following, there were not to take communion in an unworthy manner. Uh, and it, it says that we are failing to discern the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Now, I heard a sermon one time where a, a man preached that the way you discern the body is discerning the other people sitting in the room with you. And uh, I think that's the total misunderstanding here. I think what we see is a picture in our minds of the Lord Jesus Christ suffering and dying and shedding His blood on the cross for our sins and being able to look up there and say, that's my fault. He's there because of me. He did that for me because He loves me. I've always loved when we sang the praise song, How Deep the Father's Love. And it always has bothered me, or it doesn't anymore, it used to, when we sang the second verse, and uh, it says, Alone I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. And I look at myself, and I don't ever know of a time in my life where I, would, uh, where I scoffed at the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it always bothered me when we sung that. And then I heard another man raise these same concerns, and he preached on it, and he said, I finally figured it out. He said, every time I treat the sin in my life lightly and uncaringly, I mock the Lord Jesus Christ in His death on the cross for my sin. Every time I little, belittle my own sinfulness, I am making a mockery of Christ. And that changed my thinking at that. The 1 Corinthians 11 says, if we don't discern the Lord's body and we eat and drink in an unworthy manner and that means failing to view Christ on the cross for your sin and understand I caused that. It was because of me. But His love was greater than my sin. If you don't reach that point then you might take the Lord's Supper in a flippant way and our text tells us, or the text in 1 Corinthians 11, that those who eat and drink in an unworthy manner eat and drink judgment upon themselves. The King James says damnation. And I preached this once years ago, and I had a man in the church come up afterwards, and he said, I'm never taking communion again. And I said, you didn't understand me. You need to take communion, but you need to take it in a worthy manner. You need to come to the Lord 
and open up your sinfulness to Him and pour it out. Instead of you saying, I'm never coming to the Lord's table, you need to come as much as you can and examine yourself and find the sin that is there and ask that the Spirit of God would give you power over that sin. And the last one is prayer. And I don't have enough time to go over every single issue in this, but we know what prayer is. Prayer is very simply the thing we talk about the most in the church and do the least of. That's the simple definition of prayer. Taking our petitions before the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Praise His name. Confess our sins. Pray for one another. And pray for your own needs before the Lord. Prayer. So these four common, ordinary means of grace that made the church grow and it grew because church wasn't an hour or two on Sunday morning, but it was seven days a week because the Christians took the Word of God and they went into the streets and the highways and byways and they shared the good news of Christ. Secondly, they fellowshiped among themselves so that they were encouraged day in and day out by the Word. And then they took communion in a worthy manner. And lastly, they were men and women who prayed. And that's where we must be ourselves. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you that you've loved us and that you've given your Son to die for us. That through Him, our sin might be washed away. And we might be able to enter your presence because of what Jesus did and by His blessing in our lives. I pray, Father, that we would see the key to a growing church is growing Christians. Because if we grow like the believers did in Christ in the book of Acts, then our churches across America will begin to grow again with great power and great fervor. And Father, we pray for our country. We need an outpouring of your Spirit amongst those of us in the church that we might take the gospel everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.